Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. You are listening to Canadian Gothic, a series by the Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners. This episode is going to keep us here in my current city of Halifax, Nova Scotia. Anyone who regularly listens to Nighttime is well aware that Halifax has more than its fair share of dark stories. But I dare say the one we're going to hear about tonight is one of our darkest. At least publicly, this story starts with the report of a missing woman. Sometime between leaving work Thursday and failing to arrive on Monday morning, something happened to 36-year-old police officer Catherine Campbell. The search for Catherine, the discovery of her remains, and the story the evidence tells is simply horrific. And in this two-part series, we're going to walk through all of it, as revealed in the police investigatory notes. So let's begin. Tonight, I'm going to be joined by Madeleine Klein for the first portion of our discussion covering the disappearance and death of Truro Police Constable Catherine Campbell. Ms. Madeleine Klein, and how are you this wonderful summer night in July? I'm dandy. Uh, I always in- introduce you with Ms. Madeleine Klein. Uh, a married woman is Miss or Missus? Missus or Ms. Miss no- is unmarried. Yeah. And then isn't Ms. like it could be either or? Yeah, the mystery, the mysterious yeah. Miss. You don't know what she's about. She's Ms. Madeleine Klein. <laughs> yeah, it's a big secret. Yeah. Um, what have you been up to? What's new? I'm trying to think. Not too much. Uh, nothing too new and exciting. We were next week. I'm off to Ottawa, so I'm very excited. Um, Any yeah. kind of like Canadian Gothic nighttime podcast reasons you're going to Ottawa? Like, is there any dark, twisted story <gasps> you're pursuing? No, I'm going for a concert that I'm very excited about. But important things in my life have this really bad habit of getting canceled. Uh-oh. So I haven't told a bunch of people. I used to be like really loud about everything in my life but over the last couple years I've just like faced disappointment after disappointment so I've stopped doing that (laughs) okay do you want to say what the concert is or will that are you worried that putting that out there may maybe cause issue I'm going it is one of my favorite bands if not my favorite band I'm going to the Foo Fighters oh are you I didn't know they were playing in Ottawa they're playing at the Ottawa Blues Fest oh so Wow. Um, I'm surprised I missed the news of Foo Fighters playing, but I guess I would only have known if you had told me about it and you've been keeping you've been keeping your cl- your cards close to your chest for fear right. of backlash from the cosmos. Well, and like we got to fly there. That makes me nervous. Oh I don't trust any airline. They ruin lives. <laughs> so like I'm already watching in the airport. I'm like, oh, my God, are there any cancellations? Are there any delays? Okay. So I've only got three more days until we leave and things are looking good. Okay. So I, yeah. I got my fingers and toes crossed for you. Thank uh, you. <laughs> when I ask what's going on, usually you struggle to come up with something. So my backup question is, have you watched any good documentaries? Do you want to say anything about anything you've been mm-hmm. watching? No, I haven't really been watching anything new. Just Seinfeld, as per okay. always. Well, that's a good like fallback. You know, if you got nothing else to watch, that's me and X Files. It's like, oh, there's nothing to watch. X Files. Oh, comfort shows. Nothing beats them. You're gonna need a comfort show after tonight. 
uh, because the story we're talking, that's our segue, because the story we're talking about is awful. And it's, and it's all, I don't, it's awful for me for a, a bunch of reasons, but one is this takes place like in my neighborhood. So much of the story we're going to get into involves like intersections right by my house and places that I drive by every day, which is really strange. Um, but this is a story that I've put off covering for a long time for no good reason. It's been requested many times. This story being the murder of Catherine Campbell has been requested many times. And I've just always, for whatever reason, have never gotten to it. And for and for some other whatever reason, I brought it up with you recently and realized that you didn't know this story. This is this is news to you. Yeah, I had no idea. And it's after reading about it, I don't know why it wasn't bigger national news, just because it's so wild. Mm -hmm. uh, it, yeah, it's strange because it, this story involves the murder of a police officer, albeit an off-duty police officer. It involves the ever controversial and oftentimes disturbing uh rough sex defense which comes up um, in several cases and is it awful. does i've come through many cases that involve the defense of rough sex but we'll get into that more um but this when this happened in halifax this was huge news it dominated the news coverage for a good period of time and and it starts not as the murder of Catherine Campbell. It, it dominated the news when it started as the disappearance of Catherine Campbell. This story, like many, it started as a missing persons case and eventually turned into a murder case, eventually turned into a search for a perpetrator, a trial. You know, this case has it all. But ultimately, this case, to me, is about cruelty. It is about good police work surprisingly that's something we often don't get to highlight but in this case we certainly will and, and i think it's also about although we will get to an end and hear justice there's also a lot of injustice that happens in this story Be before we get into talking about the case going through the timeline having learned about it only recently and read through you know you know a, a summary of of these events what are your thoughts uh, right off the top uh, my immediate thought was what a trash bag lawyer, hmm. like, I mean, the perpetrator's a piece of trash too, but we'll get more into the defense. Uh, but yeah, that's, that was one of my main thoughts was, wow, this lawyer is a piece of work mm -hmm. because he didn't come up with that. Or like the, the perpetrator did not come up with that defense himself. Hmm. Uh, what do you think of, again, we're going to go through this in detail. But uh, did the quality of the police work and the investigation surprise you? Because I find many cases, it seems like they get lucky and they solve it. In this case, it seems like they were hitting, you know, crossing their T's, dotting their I's, and just everything was just working out so perfectly. It did surprise me, but it didn't because it was one of their own. They mm. protect their own. Yeah, that's and the thing. When it's a when it's a police officer on or off duty, that's a, that's a big deal. Yes, the quality of the police work is strong. The victim is a police officer. Could there be a coincidence? I don't know, but... It's, but, a, it's a pretty big coincidence, if yeah. you ask me. But great. If it, if it brought justice to this murder, awesome. Let's get into it. We're going to be discussing the disappearance and death 
of then 36-year-old off-duty police officer, Catherine Campbell. We're learning a good deal more tonight about the death of a Nova Scotia police officer. We still don't know how she died, but the police say she was killed in a residence in the north end of Halifax. And they're looking to speak with anyone who may have seen a man pushing or pulling a green composting bin through the streets sometime early Friday morning. I think the best way to go through this is following along as, uh, I guess, told from the point of view of the investigators tasked with uh, solving this case. Uh, we'll start with a little bit about Catherine Campbell and then we'll get into the facts of her initial disappearance. So Catherine Campbell, with a bit of background, she was 36 years old when this happened. Originally was from Stellarton, which is a small town in Nova Scotia. She was a volunteer firefighter for over 10 years but had been working as a constable for the Truro Police Force for the past six years. So Truro is a smaller community outside of Halifax that has its own police force. So when you think of a background, 10 years as a volunteer firefighter, six years as a police officer, that doesn't strike me as a, a very soft woman Catherine Campbell would have no. to be. Although when you see photos of her, she's very pretty, kind of petite, blonde, but you know, it's you can't I don't think you can be a cop for six years and a volunteer firefighter for 10 without having, you know, a bit of an edge. I didn't realize um, Truro was big enough to have like their own city police. I thought it would be RCMP. Yeah, you would think. But no, they have uh, oh. they, they have their own police force. Um, but it is a small town and it is kind of surprising. But yeah, they have their own police force. Now, Catherine, although Catherine Campbell worked in Truro, which is about a 45 minute drive away from Halifax, uh, she actually lived in an apartment in Dartmouth, which is a city kind of connected to Halifax. So she lived on her own in an apartment in Dartmouth where she commuted from to Truro to work each day, again, about a 45 minute drive. But she had only been living in Truro, I think a matter of months at the time of the events that we're going to talk about. Um, so it starts as a missing persons case. And let's get into that. The story, we'll, we'll pick it up or not pick it up, we'll begin it on the morning of September 14th. Do you, do you want to kind of give me a, a rundown of how Catherine Campbell comes to be thought as missing? Well, she didn't show up for work. She mm. worked at 5.30. And even though she lived 45 minutes away, that was like super unlike her. She was always on time. She was just always at work. So her coworkers were like immediately like, this is weird. Mm -hmm. So they called her. Or they called her and it went straight to voicemail. Um, so they called, I believe, her father and said like, we can't get a hold of... Catherine, which mm -hmm. is very, very odd. Mm -hmm. So I believe, did they, I think they contacted the Halifax police. Yeah. What what they did next, you're right. They, they contacted the Halifax police and asked for like, kind of like a wellness check, basically. Right. Like, you know, she didn't show up for work. Her dad doesn't know where she is. She's, we can't get her on her phone, you know, go over her apartment, knock on the door and see what, you know, see what comes of it. And, you know, I don't know a lot about police. I've never worked as a police officer, but I have a feeling that's not the kind of job you just uh, don't call in sick for. You just don't show up or, sh or show up late. I would think knowing that she commutes to work, my first thought if I was one of her coworkers would be something like, oh my God, I hope she didn't get in a car accident on the, you know, the 45 minute drive here on the highway at 530 in the morning. I guess for you that maybe that time's not 
ungodly because you're, you know, in the medical field, you probably work some bizarre hours. If someone said you got to be here at 530, I would say, are you nuts? I would have to stay up to get there at 530, not get up early. Uh, well, I could do 530, like 530 to what would that be? 230 or whatever it is. But I mean, she's a cop. So 12 hour shifts, regardless, I could do 530 if I didn't live 45 minutes away. That's an early morning. Yeah. And also, like, if you have to get up that early and commute to work, I would be so tired on the highway. And that's um, oh, the yeah. drive from Dartmouth to Truro. It's divided highway. So it's kind of like easy driving. I could, I could see, like, if I think if I was one of her coworkers, I would initially be like, she definitely, like, is off the road somewhere or something. Like, we got to. But they they would have known that. It yeah. was it was only 2015. The, the cops have their. Like they, you know, a nine one one call would have come in yeah, from that's, someone. That's a good. So well, I think they would have been notified of an accident. Yeah, I don't know how think. many cars would be on the road at five thirty though. I could, I, I would be worried. That's I, as I was reading it, I'm thinking that's that's definitely where my mind would go. But regardless, they contact the Halifax police and ask for a wellness check on Constable Campbell's apartment. Uh, Halifax police send some officers over. They approach her house, her apartment, knock on the door no answer and ring the doorbell no answer they check the parking lot they see her vehicle there locked which is an interesting sign because like shouldn't she be driving that to work or inside uh, of her home if it's here yeah and they um fortunately they are able to reach the superintendent uh, a lot of apartments like will have like a buzzer you know super for the super they get the superintendent uh, who seems quite helpful because what the superintendent does is open the door and let them in to her apartment. Uh, I don't know if that would be typical, but maybe when the police show up looking for another police officer, maybe it's a bit, he's just like, I'm just going to open this and do your thing. Right. This, this doesn't need 24 hours notice. I'll just let you in. Yeah. Uh, what this um, entering her apartment though, uh, make things look a little worse. What they find is the apartment's tidy. Um, the TV is on and her alarm clock is just ringing. Me, and her two and her two me. cats had empty food and water bowls. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember when I read that detail. I actually thought of your sweet cats. Poor little things. As someone wondering with, where their mom is. Oh, as someone with cats, what would that? What does that tell you that the the cat bowls are empty? Oh, alarm bells. Right up. Like not only the hungry cats, but the alarm clock going off really resonates with me because. I always remember, so my, I have two older siblings and they both are asthmatic mm -hmm. and every so often in childhood, um, dad was usually out of town for work. So it was just mom at home, but every so often I would get up in the morning and mom's bed would still be made, but her alarm clock would be going off. Mm -hmm. And then I'd know that they had to go to the hospital last night after I went to sleep because someone probably had an asthma attack. Wow. Okay. So that's like, if an alarm clock's going off and the bed is unmade, that's or is made, that's not good. No one's been there. Yeah, something weird happened the night before. Now, keep in mind, this is Monday morning because we're going to start going back in time because we're going to follow along with the investigation uh, into initially where Catherine Campbell is. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As we're talking about, the officers from the Halifax police are at her apartment. They have the superintendent there who's very helpful and he's going to give them access. He gives access to the apartment, but he does one thing better than that. And he goes right to the security cameras uh, in the recorded footage and allows the Halifax police to see Catherine Campbell's activity. And that is what is going to, I guess, initially open the first door of many doors that'll be open in this case. When they look at the security footage of her apartment, they see her Thursday getting home from work uh, with her Truro police uniform, as expected, but on the early hours of Friday morning, so just after midnight on Friday morning, which is September 11th of 2015, they see her leaving, not in her uniform, in her regular civilian clothes. Uh, she, They see, I think it's like the, the lobby of the apartment where the camera is. They see her leaving alone again just after, just after 1230, I believe. So the early morning hours of Friday, September 11th. They know that she didn't take her car because her car is, you know, still there locked. And I think all signs would point to her not coming home from then from there, because again, the cat bowls had time to be emptied. There's no evidence of her, you know, being in the house since then. There's nothing on the security cameras of her returning from the early morning hours of Friday, September 11th. And this, this gets confusing for me is 1230 AM on Friday, to me, it's still Thursday night, but it's actually Friday morning. So I, I, the timeline gets screwy in my head because I'm always like, it's Friday, but it's, it's really Thursday night. It's not the next day until I go to sleep. Yes. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that as someone who covers true crime cases, when things happen after midnight, but not like, you know, after 9am that day, it just messes with me. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So they have the security footage showing her early th Friday morning leaving, um, but they continue to dig for more information. Her laptop is sitting there open. They're able to look at her laptop as well as they get like a police kind of like digital specialist to go through her laptop. And they do this very quickly. And this is all happening Monday. Uh, they examine her computer and social media and find that one of the last things she did was searched a phone number for a taxi company. She would have done this Friday before, shortly before she was seen walking through the walking through the lobby of her apartment building. So we kind of have the next step or the next open door uh, for police investigators tracking down where is Catherine Campbell and why was she's not at work. They have the name of the cab company, so of course they give that cab company a call to find out about picking up a fare at an apartment in Dartmouth, twelve thirty early Friday morning. And they find out where she left for. Um, as someone who isn't from Halifax, let's hear you explain this. Where where did the cab driver, the cab company, uh, take Catherine to? They took her to the Ale House in downtown Halifax. Um, uh, yeah, so at about 12.45 a.m., she was alone. The cab driver said that she, you know, explained to the cab driver she's she's a police officer. She had a long week. And she was going out solo just to kind of unwind. Um, and then, yeah, so he drops her off at the ale house. You're familiar. How long would it take to get from those apartments to downtown? Mm, that's 15 minutes. minutes or something like that. Okay. Yeah, not, not a long drive, but 
Hel- uh, going from Dartmouth to Halifax, those two cities oh, right. are kind of like sister, brother, sister city next to each other with a harbor in the middle. Uh, so you got to cross a bridge to get over there. It would have been like a 10 or 15 minute drive in the okay. alehouse for someone who's not familiar with Halifax. It's kind of like an institution landmark kind of place, downtown Halifax. It's a, a bar pub kind of place that had been open since I moved here in 2000, but it's a very old building. It's very popular and it's uh, it kind of caters to a slightly older crowd, a older crowd, like a lot of bars in Halifax is a university city. So a lot of bars are jammed with like 19, 20, 21 year olds. The ale host would be more like 30 to 40 year olds would, would feel more like, you know, this is our demographic. Usually there's going to be like a cover band playing kind of typical East Coast Canadian songs. So it's, it's not like a nightclub per se. It's no. a little more relaxed, a little it's more a, chill. It's, it's a bit more of a pub. Okay. But, but there's also music and dancing. Um, I think you'd really like it, Madeline, honestly. Probably. If, if you ever come to, well, you've been to Halifax. You Maybe you went to the Ale House and you don't even know. Well, I'm but trying it's, to think. It's your kind I, of place. I recognize some of the names, some of the downtown street names, mm-hmm. um, because I stayed kind of downtown and spent a lot of time downtown. Okay. But yeah, I only remember a few of the bars and restaurants I went to. I might have been there at one okay. point. Um, well, she got dropped off at the Ale House alone. She, uh, let's talk about this as well. Go, I, I've never, well, maybe I have gone to a nightclub alone, but at 1230 to like leave my house to go alone to a nightclub, uh, if, to me, that screams of like, I'm meeting somebody. I was just going to say that. Like I've, I've l- gone to a bar with a friend and then left alone to go to another bar, but leaving my house at damn near one o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. just to go out. I like, you cannot convince me that that wasn't planned with someone. She was going to meet someone. That's how I feel too. Um, Police now know where she went. So their next step is to send officers to the ale house um, as it opens on Monday to talk to some people in there about, did they see Catherine Campbell on Friday night? Because again, we're jumping or Friday morning, late Thursday night. We're jumping back and forth to time because they're investigating her not appearing for work on Monday. So it's now, I think probably around noon on Monday that they actually make it to the ale house knowing that Catherine got dropped off there Friday. And they're kind of following her last known whereabouts, which at this point would have been leaving her apartment, getting in the cab. They go to the ale house and they ask staff, you know, we're looking for a young blonde woman who was here Friday night that is an off-duty police officer that didn't show up for work. They wouldn't remember who rolled through their bar for three or four nights ago, but much like at Catherine's apartment building, the bar has CCTV cameras, security cameras all throughout it and on the and on some parts of the exterior of the building. The staff are kind enough to give police access to their security cameras, and that's when the next, I guess, break in the case in the search for Catherine Campbell uh, takes place. What they find is several pieces of security video that show Catherine in the bar at some points alone, but at, I guess, the most interesting parts, she's with another man. And when I say with another man, it's like they're, I guess, uh, kids would say like they were all over each other. They're like kind of like dirty dancing, 
uh, leaning against the pole, like making out. He has his hands all over her. And it goes on for quite some time. They're in this, the main piece of security footage that people would have seen if they read about this case is Catherine Campbell and another guy are in kind of like a unpopulated corner of the bar where there's not people over there. And they're kind of making out pretty heavily. Um, of course, investigators are interested in finding out, you know, who is this guy that's with her. Uh, they ask staff, you know, do, do, does any does anyone have any memory of these people doing this? And one staff member says, I actually had to go over to them and tell them to cool it like they were getting a bit too hot and heavy or, you know, whatever the right word would be. But even a step beyond that, one of the, I think it's one of the bouncers who says like, and I know who that guy is. He actually used to work here. His name is Christopher or Chris Garnier. I think we're on the trail for something. Well, and again, the times that things occur this night really baffle me. Mm -hmm. What time is last call in in Nova Scotia? I think it's 3.30. It is 3.30? Because they were, <laughs> wow. What time is it in your crappy city? Last call's 1.30, bar closes at 2. Oh, man. I think it's last call, I think it's 3.30, bars close at 4. I could be wrong. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, so because they were seen leaving at about 3.30, 3.40, left seen, seen left, oh my gosh, seeing, they were seen left leaving the building, good Lord. And when I read it at like 20 to 4 a.m., I was just like, what? Like, yeah. and so the fact that he had worked there, it's like maybe they were just hanging out afterwards with no, the no. staff we party hard on the east coast madeline it's not oh, like you're not wow. in saskatchewan down here <laughs> and you yeah, go, you go I... to like a a downtown kind of like breakfast restaurant at four in the morning and it is bumping oh yeah we only have a denny's that's open 24 hours <laughs> um so and you, you just kind of tease the next step in this is bouncers have had seen them getting hot and heavy in a corner of the bar ask them to cool it they recognized the guy as an ex-employee named Chris Garnier and bouncers recalled seeing them leave together around 3.30, which would have been after call as lights are coming on in the bar shutting down. Generally, when you see a couple making out at a bar and leaving together at 3.30, it's a, they're, they're a couple probably going to one of each other's homes or something is kind of like what would be the next logical step or, or traditional step in that sort of situation. So I would not assume they were taking separate cabs home to separate homes. <laughs> mm -hmm. So at this point, investigators are certainly interested in finding Chris Garnier, finding out where they left and, you know, pursuing the trail that Catherine Campbell left behind. And this is happening fast. She's reported missing by not showing up at work Monday morning at around, like just around six o'clock is when it starts rolling. Couple hours after they're at her apartment with the, with the superintendent. Couple hours after that, they're at the ale house, find this security footage. Their next step is to track down the guy she was last seen with, Christopher Calvin Garner. Chris Garnier, um, at the time that this took place, he was like my neighbor. Like this, at the, the time that this happened, I lived two blocks away from him. When So when they describe, uh, when I'm reading the news and when this was all happening, I was seeing 
his house, you know, and news crews around it and stuff at the, at this time because I'm I'm like right there. But Chris Garnier, born November thirtieth of eighty in eighty seven, he was born in Calgary, but he grew up like I did in beautiful Cape Breton Island, Nova Scotia. Uh, as a younger man, he was involved in the Air Cadets, and just like Catherine Campbell, he too was a volunteer firefighter. Uh, so there was some kind of connections there, and and I. I want to I mention that because there's going to be a discussion about if they even knew each other. I just find it's interesting that they were both volunteer firefighters, which isn't the kind of thing where you could just like grab two people from a crowd and they both be like, we are both volunteer firefighters. Like it's not that common. But anyway, they were both volunteer firefighters. Um, but Chris Garnier, he, if you think of what he did for a living, he kind of went through a variety of jobs. He was a personal trainer, like a good shape guy. He, of course, he worked at the Ale House at one point, but he worked at several other bars and restaurants around Halifax. But lastly, and this is an odd thing. So this is all happening Monday when Catherine doesn't show up for work. Coincidentally, Chris Garnier is starting a new job Monday morning. The day she is reported missing is his first day at a new job uh, selling uh, fire safety equipment in um, in Dartmouth, actually, not far from where she lived. He had a job at started his new job uh, selling fire equipment, which is just weird, weird kind of timing. But police got to talk to this guy they first are able to to figure out who he is and where he is early tuesday morning so mon all that investigation happens monday it's early tuesday morning where they're able to track him down and talk to him uh it's his second day at work so he shows up for work tuesday morning with his new office second day there He's only in the building for a couple minutes before police officers from the Halifax Police Department show up at the front desk saying, like, can we talk to uh, a Chris Garnier? Because I think anyone at the people at the front desk, like, I don't know anyone named Chris. Oh, the new guy. Man, that must have been a bizarre, like for everyone there, that must have Could been you imagine? pretty bizarre. Do you want to walk us through kind of his initial um his initial story to them so they talked to him and he says that he had broken up with his girlfriend like days before yeah i think they broke up uh like wednesday or thursday of the week like uh, something like that yeah um but had since patched things up mm -hmm. um when they ask him about the events of thursday night Friday morning, he said that he did go to the bar with his friends and he was going to stay at his friend's house because of this breakup. Um, his friend that he had initially had went with got a little bit too rowdy and ended up getting arrested and thrown into the drunk tank. He stayed behind alone and he went back to his friend's house alone and went to sleep and woke up the next morning and I think went to his dad's alone. Yeah, nothing weird happened, according to Chris Garnier. Police, I th I'm sure at this point, they know something's up. They have the vi I don't think Chris Garnier knows at this point that they have video of him with Catherine making out with her, as well as the bouncer saying like they left together. Because according to him, he went to the bar with a couple friends. His friends got arrested for being drunk and got taken to the drunk tank. And uh, Chris Garnier stayed alone at the bar afterwards for a little bit. 
and then went home to his buddy's house or went back to his buddy's house as initially planned while his buddy was in the drunk tank and nothing weird happened. Uh, but what the, the next piece of police work, I guess, that will progress this story is Chris Garnier says, um, you know, I was I ended up I was at the bar with my friend who got arrested and I stayed at my friend's house. So, of course, the cop is going to say, who's your friend? And his friend is a guy named Mitch DeVoe who is a longtime friend of Chris Garnier's. They've been friends since they were like teenagers. So police officers, I'm sure, are thinking, let's talk to Mitch, Mitch DeVoe and, you know, and see what he has to say. Before police even contact Mitch DeVoe, he gets a call from Chris Garnier, who even says, like, yeah, the cops are here about something. You, you may hear from them, but, you know, it's nothing big. It's, you know, it's all good. And according to Mitch DeVoe, Chris Garnier didn't seem razzled by this. But regardless... Shortly after, as expected, um, Mitch DeVoe gets a call from the police. It's now Tuesday afternoon. So Tuesday morning, they speak with Chris Garnier outside his new job. Tuesday early afternoon, they show up at Mitch DeVoe's house. Um, when they ask Mitch DeVoe's, his account of the events of late Thursday night into Friday morning, much like Chris Garnier said, he describes... Um, Chris uh, broke up with his girlfriend, so he was going to spend the, the night here. We hung out, had a few drinks, smoked some weed. We went to the bar together. I don't know exactly what happened because I drank too much, is what Mitch DeVoe says. He says, I don't even remember being at the alehouse. I remember being at some other bar and then waking up in the drunk tank, coming home to my apartment, and Chris was like asleep on the couch as planned. Uh, I went in my bedroom and... Chris got up and left, but he did, he does give a bit more information. So uh, up until this point, it's kind of corroborating Chris's story, but he does say something else that I guess leads some suspicion. Do you recall what that is? Well, before they left, Mitch made up like the pullout sofa bed for him, mm -hmm. which is fine. And then when Mitch gets home the next morning, I believe Chris isn't sleeping on it. He's sleeping on like an adjacent couch or a different couch. Mm -hmm. So, and he notices like the mattress and the blankets that were on it are just gone. Mm -hmm. And so when he asks Chris about this, Chris says, oh yeah, like I threw up on them. So I threw them out, oh. which is like, really? Yeah. So according to Mitch DeVoe, yeah. Uh, Chris wasn't sleeping on the polo coach. He was in, or on the polo mattress or whatever. Instead, he was on a different coach. The mattress and its blankets were gone. Chris says he puked on them and chucked them and said, like, I'll replace them. And I think uh, according to Mitch DeVoe, what he told police is like, I didn't like question him because I kind of felt like maybe he was embarrassed. Yeah. And I could, and like, I, I can could... see being embarrassed and even throwing out the mattress because even the way the article described it, it was like thin and kind of like worn. So that's fine. Mm -hmm. But like the blankets too, really? Yeah. You didn't just throw those in the wash. <laughs> like if, if that was you, if you had a friend stay over and that happened, what would your, how would you react? I, and they're like, I threw away the mattress you? and the blanket. I, yeah. That's kind of what I'd say. But I'd be like, you threw away a mattress. I would, if I had to throw away a mattress, I don't know where to even begin with that. Like, are we talking like a prison cot mattress? Because what, like, why else, where else would that be plausible? And my blankets. I would be very, very mad about my blankets. You have nice blankets. I guess. I'm a blanket person. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, uh, it, it's odd. If you're a police invest, if you're an investigator 
investigating a missing woman and you get to the part where the guy last saw, that was last with her threw away a mattress and blankets are you, are you like okay we're cooking now. something's yeah if there weren't red flags before there are now mm -hmm. but we can't fault his friend mitch you know he's a dude he's probably like oh yeah whatever replace it and i'm happy yeah i, I guess yeah. i could maybe if he's he, this is an easy going fella we're I talking think. about someone who just spent the night in the drunk tank i think he's got bigger problems yeah than his missing sheets from his exactly pillow. yeah so here's where the next big break comes in so now they they seem to know where chris garnier spent the night which is at mitch devoe's house mitch was in the drunk tank so chris had the place to himself so police are going to dig in a bit more to what happened in and around Mitch DeVoe's apartment on the the night Catherine Campbell was, or the, I guess the early morning Catherine Campbell was last seen. Now, I should say Mitch DeVoe's apartment is in the downtown core of Halifax. It is would it would be in walking distance from the alehouse, but it would also be a short drive. So we're talking like. You know, if you got a, a cab from the alehouse to Mitch's apartment, you're talking like a five minute drive at most or like a 15 minute walk, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, luckily for the investigators and for justice and society, uh, Mitch DeVoe's apartment has kind of like a parking lot behind it in a driveway that goes from the parking lot along the side of the house in the parking lot and driveway abuts or is like next to another building that's like kind of like a dermatology clinic or like a laser clinic so when you go in the backyard of, of mitch devoe's apartment there's his parking lot a small fence and then a commercial parking lot for another building that is this uh, dermatology clinic as fate would have it the dermatology clinic has security cameras looking in their back parking lot which on the corners of the their parking lot of course is the backyard of mitch devoe's place so police see these cameras as they're taking a look around mitch's apartment and they go knock on the door of the dermatology clinic and up until now we, we have quite the security footage comes into this a lot we have video of Catherine leaving her apartment we have vi video of her in the bar with chris garnier when they go to the laser clinic, it's still Tuesday. So this is happening fast. They go to the laser clinic and the laser clinic says, come on in. Yeah, we got camera footage. We have it all archived. You can, you know, go at it, Halifax police. Um, of course, Halifax police really want to see what happened late Friday night or sorry, not late Friday night. Early Friday morning is what they're interested in. They know Chris Campbell, according to the bouncers at the alehouse, they know Catherine Campbell and Chris Garnier left the bar at around 3.30. As I said, it's about a 15-minute drive to Mitch DeVoe's place where Chris claims to have spent the night and where at least five minute was drive. that morning. Five-minute drive, 15-minute walk. Yes, sorry, about a five-minute drive. So if you're a police investigator, you're going to say to this laser clinic, fast-forward your cameras or rewind your cameras back to early friday morning let's start at around you know 3 30 a.m and see what's going on there we have a series of moments that chris garnier has caught on camera that is going to blow this case wide open so let's let's go through each one uh we'll, we'll take them appearance by appearance so let's start friday morning 
at 4.30 a.m. So this is about an hour after Catherine and Chris left the bar together. It would have only been probably a half hour to 40 minutes after they would have arrived at Mitch DeVoe's place. So why don't you start with Friday morning at 4.30? So Chris is seen walking down the driveway with no shoes on. And then when he gets to the street, he's like, he kind of does the, does the once over looks both ways, but then turns around and goes back into the house. Mm -hmm. And and when they say like um, walks down the driveway again, as I described, he would have been coming out like the back door of Mitch DeVoe's house, walking down a driveway towards the street, doing a look around, doesn't see anything, walks back to the house. About 15 minutes later, Chris Garnier is seen again, still barefoot. This time he walks down the driveway, just like he did the first time. But instead of doing like the once over and looking around, he just continues out of view. So he like leaves the driveway into the street somewhere, but he returns like a minute later. This time he's dragging a green bin. Like, and when I, do people know what a green bin is? Do you think? Well, I do. Is that the compost bin? Yeah. In, yeah. Here, in here in Halifax, when it's garbage day, we it's like it cycles one week will be garbage day and you bring out like your black garbage bags and the truck comes and gets them then the next week we call it like green bin day and you have a big large plastic green bin full of your compost and you just leave that at the curb and a different truck comes and takes the green bin and picks up your blue bag recyclables uh, so most homes I would think probably every home around Halifax would have a large green bin outside in your driveway somewhere. And every second week you pull it to the curb and the truck comes and takes it. So what I think is happening here at about 4.45 a.m. is Chris Garnier leaves the backyard of Mitch DeVoe's house and probably walks next door across the street or something and grabs a green bin. He then wheels the green bin back up the driveway and out of camera's view, but to the area of Mitch DeVoe's back door more or less that's at 4 45 what's next uh just five minutes later at 4 50 he chris is seen dragging the green bin from the house with the mattress on top of it mm -hmm. um he stops and leans the mattress up against a tree and then continues on his way with the green bin mm -hmm. um he leaves down the driveway he stops, picks something up off of the ground, and it looks like he throws it onto the roof of, of an adjacent building. Mm. And then he just keeps on dragging the green bin out of surveillance sight. Yeah, just like off towards the street again. and, and With for, no shoes. And the, the video of this interaction or this moment uh, is spread around the internet. It was on the news a lot. So a lot of people have seen it. But what uh, for anyone who has, and I think one moment in it that's um, telling and is probably important, is as he's pulling the green bin, he hits like a little stick or something on the ground and the green bin kind of gets stuck and he has to kind of like stop and move it around and get around the stick. If anyone has a green bin, generally you can just roll it over stuff because it has little wheels on it. But if your green bin is full, like what's, let's say you mowed your lawn and you put the clippings in there and the thing is heavy, the wheels are only small so it can get stuck on stuff when it's heavy. So seeing him get stuck and have to move it around awkwardly tells me that this green bin had some weight in it. Um, but, and, and then the other key moment that you, you mentioned there that I just want to highlight again is, yeah, as he was leaving the driveway, he did stop 
parked the green bin, so to speak, picked something up off the ground and just threw it towards another building, which is weird. So that was at 4.50 a.m., what you just described. Chris and the green bin are off, out of sight, and it isn't until 40 minutes later at 5.30 a.m., Chris returns. I might add, still barefoot. Through all of these appearances on the footage, he's barefoot. 5.30 a.m., he comes back barefoot without the green bin, walks up the driveway, and goes back in Mitch DeVoe's house. Without knowing anything about what happens next, how bad is it, or how like suspicious is it looking at this point? Oh, it's suspicious. Mm -hmm. At that hour, with no shoes on, and it's, yeah, it's just, and knowing what we know previous to what happened before this, like, you know, there's a missing woman, he was last seen with her just less than an hour before what's happening here. What are you up to dude? So investigators are all over this. And, and I think it's, as we're doing this talk, it's hard to kind of explain it to, um, it's hard to communicate like how quick this is happening. Like if you think she didn't show up for work Monday morning, it's now Tuesday early afternoon and they already have like so much against this guy uh and they're all over it i should also trail yeah i should also add it's at about this point that the police also order surveillance to follow chris garnier while they're doing this investigation so at this point they're you know they're narrowing down on him and they're closely following are closely catching up with Catherine Campbell's last known whereabouts. So it's around this point on Tuesday that Chris Garnier starts being watched. He's still back at his new job on his second day working his shift as all this is happening at in and around Mitch DeVoe's house. So police now, with, with everything that was just described, of course the next step is we gotta start checking green bins. I'm going to break the conversation at this point with Halifax police searching for the green garbage bin Chris Garnier was last seen dragging around barefoot. In the next episode, which will be released tomorrow, we'll pick up this story with a series of discoveries that progress this story even further. Now, I'm going to wrap up this episode, but before we part here, let me end with some thanks. First, a big thanks to Monty Data for contributing the music for this episode, a thanks to Madeline for joining us here, and a shout out to LJ from the Dystopian Simulation Podcast, who provides my intro and outro voiceovers. But lastly, and most importantly, a massive thank you goes out to each and every one of you listening to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. Now on the topic of support, let me thank the newest subscribers to the premium feed, Hope and Julie, Thank you for your generous support. And for anyone else who'd like to support the creation of the show, you can help out in a variety of ways. First of all, a premium feed subscription costs only a couple dollars a month and gives you the episodes two days early, gives them to you ad-free, and gives you a full back catalog of nighttime podcast episodes. If that sounds good to you, you can go premium now at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. And anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't do it by way of a premium feed subscription, you can give me a big hand by simply sharing this episode on social media and telling like-minded friends about the show. If you have any story ideas, if you want to give feedback, or would like to contribute a voice memo to be aired and responded to in an upcoming episode, you can do all that and more at nighttimepodcast.com. I hope to hear from you. But until then, take care of each other, 
hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte.